Well, hello and welcome back once again to this live to tape video edition of the <laughs> HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast. And in this episode, we welcome Paula Harvey and Beth DeLima. I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. How are you, John? Wendy, I am well. Good. These video conversations have been quite popular. We enjoy yes. doing them. Uh, it's kind of fun. We're going to obviously people are going to be seeing this all together, at least to start. Yep. Be tweeting about it and, and watching it together. Of course, then we also have a podcast from it as well. Wendy, it's been a really, really interesting year uh, for all of us. Yes. I think this uh, this concept, this video concept, these connections is certainly something that's come out of it. One of the, the reasons that we wanted to get together, and I'm hoping you can expound on it, is that we want to have a bit of a conversation around emergency preparedness. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the areas where uh, sometimes we in HR, we get thrown into that area. <laughs> we don't quite go into HR expecting to do emergency management. I know I've had um, some experience there in past hospitals that I've worked in, but fortunately now I work in a large enough organization that I really don't have to be involved. There are other people that specialize in that. Um, But I think this is an area that we really need to spend a little time on. Things changed this year. Things, you know, every plan, every emergency plans people had just got, got thrown out. And I, I believe it was Kirsten Greggs that um, in a past conversation mentioned, you know, most of our plans involved us returning to work yes. fairly soon after the incident happened. Yeah. And we can't do that now. And so we've had to readjust and change things and, and, and figure out how we're going to do it. So I think, and we've had so many conversations um, and chats around emergency management and, not just emergency management, but what are you doing for COVID? What are you doing for these? We had one early in May, March, April, May. I don't remember. <laughs> we kind of threw in a, a, a special chat about COVID and we talked about pre- being prepared for these things. Um, and so as these video panels have become popular for us, which I, I know, I don't know about you, John, but I didn't expect this to come from podcasting. No. no. <laughs> I also didn't expect to do podcasts that work about hand sanitizer recipes either. So again, 2020. <laughs> 2020, what are we going to do? You know, I think that's um, I think that's the thing is that we've kind of been able to roll with the punches this year. We've been fortunate that we do have um, the majority of our connections um, for us anyway are social media related. So we've been able to continue those and continue meeting and and you know, we've had movie nights and we've had trivia nights to get people together because we're just so, there's so much of a need for that connection. And, you know, it's, it's not the same as in person. We'll all admit that. Um, but it is next best. We can at least see people. We can have those conversations. Um, but I felt, you know, when we started talking about doing this more, I felt this was a really great way to continue those virtual conversations. The video conversations is, Let's talk a little bit more about emergency preparedness and see how we can help folks and make some connections to, you know, we, we've had to punt a lot and how can we plan and do better next time? I think we have two great guests to have this very mm-hmm. particular conversation. So let's make the introductions and we'll, <laughs> we'll get into the, we'll jump right into it. Let's jump into it. So uh, first, I would like to introduce Beth DeLima. She is founder and principal of HRM Consulting, Inc. and Leave Management Solutions, LLC, providing human resources 
vocational rehabilitation, and expert testimony, support, training, and consulting for HR professionals and attorneys. She has been assisting HR managers with compliance and procedural implementation for managing and integrating safety and health, injury, illness, and prevention programs, HR policy and procedure implementation, and ADA workers' compensation, pregnancy disabilities, and FMLA since 1993 on a national, statewide, and local level including specifically how injury, injury, illness, and prevention programs are integrated with HR responsibilities. Ms. DeLima has extensive expert witness experience regarding HR-related issues, including safety issues, whistleblowers, discrimination, and wrongful termination, as well as providing vocational rehabilitation expert witness opinions for almost three decades. She has been providing free webinars monthly to discuss COVID and emergency responses required by HR and how this is coordinated with safety. For HR for HR, Beth's focus is to provide HR professionals the coaching, training, and resources they need to effectively manage the employee life cycle, specifically medical leaves and accommodations, including in pandemic, from a holistic perspective, including safety, DOL, and EEOC compliance. So, Beth, we are super excited to have you here. Um, and, of course, we're always happy to welcome my adopted big sister, Paula, to the show. <laughs> um, I'm cutting hers really short because you all know Paula. She is the vice president of HR and safety at Schulte Building Systems, Inc., a metal buildings manufacturer in Hockley, Texas. She has more than 30 years of experience as an HR generalist in the retail services, construction, and manufacturing industries. She also teaches business and leadership topics for Rice University, and she is recognized internationally as a speaker on global and strategic business issues. She is currently serving on the board of the SHRM Foundation and the SHRM Talent Acquisition Panel and has been active at many levels of HR-related volunteer groups for many, many years. She lives in Cypress, Texas, a suburb of Houston with her husband, Kenneth, and their fur babies. She enjoys martial arts, church activities, spending time with her grandchildren, and traveling all over the globe when we're not in a pandemic. <laughs> and we were just talking about this earlier. She is a member of the 50 by 50 club. She has visited all 50 states and she has worked on all seven continents, which we're going to have to talk about that Antarctica thing because that would be very interesting. But that's a different conversation for a different time. But this is the social hour. <laughs> <I'm working on. laughs> uh, this is the social hour and we start every conversation the same way. What are you ladies drinking tonight? Um, water. <laughs> yeah, this is flavored water, and I really wish it was about a gallon of wine for this day. It's been a Monday. <laughs> Am I the only one drinking wine or anything? In not spirit, maybe later. <laughs> Cheers. How about you, John? What are you drinking? I, I am drinking Hint. So this is product placement Hint. If you Hint, <laughs> if you want to sponsor us. Intent. <laughs> Message me. I'm happy to talk about it. Happy to talk about it. I do well, like hint. That's a good choice. <laughs> Beth, we always like to to get to know our guests and, and those folks that we get to meet along the way. How in the world does someone get into what you're doing when it comes to working with HR and emergency preparedness? How how did you start that path in 1993? I'm, I'm glad you asked that because it really is a pretty wild um, path and it's so prevalent right now. So I'm sure everybody remembers that about 30 years ago, the FEMLA and ADA were just being enacted. And I was working on my MBA 
And one of the industrial psychologist professors of mine was doing the seminal work on essential function job descriptions to get prepared for understanding what this all was. And right after that happened, the state of California removed vocational rehabilitation consultants from the return to work efforts and um, and required all workers' comp insurance companies to put in their pamphlet, hey, by the way, if you're injured at work, you might be protected under ADA. You should make sure you talk to your employer about that. And so I discovered pretty quickly that this was going to be a big deal. And I always felt it was going to be a big deal. And um, started my first job jumping into this immediately. Uh, an individual got injured. They went through the standard workers' comp process. It was inadequate. And we did second and third opinions under FEMLA and went into ADA and discovered she had cancer. She died six months later. That was my first experience in HR right out, out of an MBA, understanding the complexity of how these regulations impact employees if we stick to the letter of the compliance instead of listening to the words of the employee and understanding them. So I got involved very quickly and decided that this was an area that I wanted to focus on because I felt it was such a connection between making sure management knows what they know and gets what they need done and our employees are there working, but then also being HR and being the empathetic daughter, sister, mother, um, counselor to the employees to make sure that they're being taken care of too. And I've I've loved that part of HR. That's been a really um, wonderful opportunity for me. And I've stayed in this area for most of my HR career and I've really enjoyed um, the people that I meet in HR who are really digging down deep to help employees with these kinds of challenges. And then Paul, with you, obviously we, we know what you're up to. How have you in your career, how have you had that shift or the addition of the safety emergency preparedness duties how did that come to pass for you? Well, when I first kind of got out of college, I went into the retail industry because I worked for Dillard's as an internship and did some different things. So um, I ended up working for Lord and Taylor and they were owned by the main company and they had me travel over the country. And uh, once I had my twins, I decided uh, retail's not so great for um, someone who wants to, you know, have some uh, nights off and uh, um, especially holidays. So I, I really went to what my first love was and what I'd studied in college was operations management and uh, found out it was kind of tough for gals to get into operations. So I took the next best thing at the time, which was HR. And I'd also taken classes in HR. So um, I ended up going in 1994, taking a job with a company. It was a startup HR Literally, there were um, manila file folders on the floor of my office when I walked in, and I found out they were the employee files. And so uh, I um, also uh, started, I've seemed to start new jobs, which I've only, I've only changed very few times, but um, I started this job in December. So I had to fill out the OSHA logs and found out they hadn't done them. And uh, when I got it done, it took me a week or so. It was 56 injuries at this place of 250 employees. Wow. So that was one in five people were, you know, getting hurt or injured. And wow. that was, you know, essentially we're talking um, sometimes amputations. We're talking all sorts of terrible, crazy things. Oh. It was a wood veneer manufacturing plant. 
and um, it's no longer in business, so I can talk about it as much as I want to. Um, <laughs> and it makes great fodder for my teaching. Um, but it's, uh, uh, this company, um, it, it was a great place to really learn the nuts and bolts of HR. And I was an HR of one. And luckily I had a um, brand new general manager who had come on just a couple months before me. And he said, whatever you want, you can go to class. So he sent me to all these safety courses and I ended up getting my, um, I have my OSHA 501 trainer. I've got certifications from the National Safety Council. And what I found that I really loved emergency management. And that just seemed to be something that I loved. And because so people were getting hurt, by 1995, I had gone into the, to the Red Cross because I had had a CPR and first aid class uh, when my twins were born, but it was time for reserting. And I thought, you know what, I'd want to become a trainer. So I have done, I'd say I, I train for the Red Cross and everything that doesn't involve a swimsuit, mainly because I just don't <laughs> want to do that. <laughs> I can train them, but I don't want to. I don't want to be a lifeguard. <laughs> so uh, so I, I started doing all sorts of training for them. And then we had September 11th happen. And after September 11th, so many companies were asking us of the Red Cross to set up disaster programs for them. And so as a volunteer, that's what I would do. I would go to companies, even though I had my regular full-time job at the time, and set up these uh, disaster things, which led to me really deciding to open my own business and uh, um, consultancy in 2004. So um, when I opened my con um, consultancy of KMP Consulting, which I ha had until I moved to Texas, um, we did safety and HR. So was, uh, I did a lot of consulting, especially in emergency preparedness. And that's how Beth and I met each other in 2005, because we were both asked to serve on the uh, SHRM health safety and security um, panel that they had at that time. And we served for three years. And the two of us were honored out of the panel to be asked to serve on a special pandemic task force. And so we served on that from 2005 to about 2010 or so. And we still get, Beth will tell you, she gets calls. I get calls every once in a while because we're considered kind of an expert in the HR world on this topic. Wonderful. And that's why we wanted to have you guys here and have this conversation, you know, talking about it from, from that perspective and you training folks and, and helping HR to, to be better at this. So I think first we really need to talk about where we've been and what we've done in the past which wasn't that long ago, you know, it was March, 2020 happened. And, you know, that that's kind of when everything blew up. So, but before that, what are some areas of emergency preparedness that most companies plan for? What, what are some of the events that you, you, you both helped companies work through? Well, actually, I think Paula probably has a little bit more depth of this than I do, but I can tell you the standard operating procedure that we see in most policy handbooks is going to be natural disasters. What happens if there's a flood or if there's this or there's a tornado or if their lights go out? It's not really a pandemic where you're expecting people to be not working. This is a very, very unique environment. And of course, what are we comparing it to the Spanish flu? This is how seldom it happens. But the degree to which it impacts employers with managing absenteeism and bringing them back has been incredible. And I don't think most employers were remotely prepared for this. And my guess is they'll have a wonderful policy when they're done and they won't see a need for using it again 
for years, but the lessons oh. to be learned are incredible. And they can be translated to a lot of different areas if there's a, uh, a different way to look at it, that this isn't a one-off. Let's use this as a real learning opportunity. Yeah, I, I would say for me, um, you know, first, of course, it started out with hurricanes because I lived in Charlotte, North Carolina, and that was a concern. And I had moved there right after Hurricane Hugo. So hurricanes, ice storms, we had a very surprising ice storm in 2002. Um, tornadoes, because that was every once in a while. Um, but also, I had to deal with some of my clients with bomb threats, um, hostage situations, um, we had discussions on, you know, what happens if a chemical spill is going happens and you have to evacuate because I've seen all of these things. We had one uh, company I worked with had this huge gas problem that gas leaks and they had to get everybody out. Um, of course, September 11th really got a lot of training because our whole downtown of Charlotte was closed down. People couldn't go there. Um, the banking system, you know, is huge there. And so it, just keeping things safe. Um, a lot about data and privacy and discussions on those were a, an important piece. And then because the bird flu was talked about, and that's what got uh, Beth and I to be on that uh, panel, um, what, the bird flu was a little bit of a scare for a while. And with that going on and then Ebola after that, um, there was discussions then, how do you, uh, you know, deal with the, uh, and, and what the policy that I have that I, I have up, updated now <laughs> is the contagious diseases, how to deal with contagious diseases. And uh, so, and then of course, now it's really led to even further with the pandemic situation. So um, I really feel like, you know, I felt very prepared for this to be honest, maybe because I've worked in this so long and my company has handled it really well, even though we've had people, you know, positive and dealing with this. But um, it's just because, you know, as a team, I've been fortunate to be with a great executive team that is just, you know, we work together, we communicate and all these things that you need to do during this. But the biggest thing was we had written a crisis management plan several years ago and we kept updating it. And I had just updated, and having been through Hurricane Harvey, yeah, not, not, not related to me, um, but <laughs> uh, having been through Hurricane Harvey and actually the tax day flood was a bigger deal the uh, year before. That was a bigger deal for us at, at my company. We were prepared on, you know, dealing with emergencies. You know, um, of course, there's things like uh, getting ready for working from home because we had never done that. So now the world of work has really changed for our office folks. But when you have production, you know, manufacturing like we do. It's, it's more just keeping your employees safe and protected. Yes. Yeah. And that's all I, I think of HR is keeping the employees safe and protected. It's these little tangential issues that have really thrown everybody for a little bit of a loop. Yeah, I never thought I was going to be a, a procurement of, uh, you know, hand sanitizer, masks, and everything else. I never thought I'd get a new title of also COVID manager. Um, so, I mean. COVID czar. <laughs> Yeah, COVID czar. That's a good one. I like that. So, I mean, I come in COVID every czar. morning. The first thing I do is to update to see who is positive, who's not positive, who's better. I mean, I keep running spreadsheets and we also have done special pay for people. So making sure that our payroll folks have got this, you know, my, my staff is getting them paid like they need to be. I think, I think that's 
you know, kind of been the thing too. You know, like I said earlier, a lot of our plans had people coming back into the office, um, which isn't happening right now. And I think too, um, it's funny because I had one of my Facebook memories that popped up was the H1N1 vaccine that I was standing in line for. uh, That would have been about 11 years ago. (laughs) We still have posters in my office from it. (laughs) My predecessor had them. I mean, it has always been involved with safety because that's been part of our job. Our, our employees have to be safe. But the real connection that we made with safety over this pandemic, I'm hopeful, is going to be a really, really strong relationship that carries over because we always needed to be very integrated with them. And it's we've never had the need at the level that we do right now. So it's it's hopefully going to end up with a wonderful transition to more integrated opportunities for both safety and HR to understand how to work together. Um, what's interesting for me is that uh, coming to my company because of my safety background, they my company made a huge um, decision to pull safety out of operations. Mm-hmm. And so safety is with HR. So the safety managers report to me. And I, that has really been good because... One of the problems that can happen with safety if it's reporting to operations is sometimes operations just wants to get everything out the door. And sometimes doing things the safe way takes longer. And sometimes I'll oh, just get it done instead of someone saying, hey, no, 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 no. And if they're reporting up to HR and in my executive role, I can say I can go to, to the head of operations and say, uh, let's talk about this. And that's worked really, really yeah. well. I think that's been a, a big success. But unfortunately, there are I'm kind of a, a maverick, and there's not as many people in HR that have a safety background also. And I really think that that's something, especially in the manufacturing world, in my opinion, would be really helpful for HR people in manufacturing to um, get some experience in safety and take some training classes. Uh, they're absolutely integrated. Workers' comp, it's all integrated. ADA. Absolutely. So this is... It's really interesting, um, Paula. My guess is that you would scare half the HR managers to death if you said, <laughs> you know, but at a management level, at a VP level, wouldn't that be an interesting poll to do maybe next quarter or the quarter after how many saw that transition occur because of the clear recognition of the integration of HR and safety? It's always been integrated. We just never have done a good job getting it together. It's just, oh, it started in operations and it's like they didn't want to let it go or something. And I'll tell you, and most of the, most of the backgrounds I've been, it's ended up coming to me and it's been very successful. I think it's really interesting. You, you mentioned that both of you spent time on a pandemic panel. You mentioned bird flu. I, I just had flashbacks to that because that seems like an, an entire lifetime ago, but with, Many companies were not thinking about pandemics. No. Right. You know, the we storms, Mother Nature, maybe active shooters and and, uh, terrorist type situations, maybe considering that, but nothing like what we're seeing right now. And I think to Wendy's point earlier, most companies, okay, we weren't really we weren't planning for it. We sent everybody away and then, well, hey, we really want to get everybody back. Yes. What are what are some ways? that you've seen and in and, and your own organizations or with the organizations that you have kind of from afar, where have you seen companies really succeed and really struggle in this time? Um, well, I'll go ahead and start. 
because I'm a consultant, I work with with many of these companies. I don't have a company I work for. And we started this in February and March right away. There were three things that I wanted to make sure the people I was working with understood. The first thing was, if you've got people who are being um, furloughed, sent on leave without pay after we exhaust all these wonderful leaves that we've got, or being separated, you're going to need to start by making a decision of how they're leaving your company, as opposed to their telecommuting. So that's lesson one. How are we doing it? It's almost like we've got a riff. Now we need a a semi-riff with a semi-return-to-work concept that is as objective so we are not picking and choosing who we're turning to work, returning to work based on who we want there as opposed to an objective measure that is treating everybody fairly. Then we get the issue of, well, okay, if they're coming back to work, how are we keeping them safe? Who is our COVID czar in the organization that's walking around and checking the boxes that we've done the temperature check the same way? It's in a confidential environment. Nobody knows when somebody has a temperature because they're walking out a different space. So they're not now exposed visually to everybody. We have pictures of people being six feet apart. Is that part managed correctly? Because we now have a presumption of you caught it at work. And if we don't have objective data to show why we did our best job making sure we followed all those rules, me saying I did it is not going to fly. Do we have a way for coworkers to self-report on other coworkers? Because this is the one time we want them to, and we expect them to tell us Susan's not wearing her mask. How are we managing that whole process? Then once we get them to work, who gets to come back first? The person who's getting the extra um, unemployment that they've never gotten before, who doesn't want to come back, or the person who's the the the, the uh, best experienced person, or are we going to let them get the benefit because they're our best experienced people and let them take more time and we'll bring the lease back? Whatever it is, it better be objective. Then when we get them back to work, what if they don't want to come? What if they're so scared and so worried? Do we just ignore them until they're going to get fired? That's our... We must have lost Beth for a second. To continue on with what Beth was saying is, um, you know, I, I also have noticed, uh, you know, that OSHA has been fining companies for not keeping the workplaces safe. They just uh, came out today with, uh, I think it's over two and a half million dollars worth of fines have been given now in the last, uh, whatever, eight months. And so that is a huge, huge cost to any uh, company, especially if you're, you know, if you're not even being picked to get a fine like that, that means somebody's reported you in and you have not got a safe workplace for, for everyone. So that can be a huge cost to any company is to deal with, you know, having to be, you know, they're going to walk you wall to wall. They're going to go through, they're going to investigate and talk with your employees. And so if, if, you know, there's companies getting that, that's, and plus doing that in a pandemic situation is really tough. I think one of the other things, you know, you know, having been a, is working for an essential employer who has kept working the whole time that, you know, we did, you know, work from home for our, our office staff and we brought some back in. Now we're going back out again as kind of, you know, with all the ups and downs of people being ill, it's just knowing when to do that. Um, I, as I mentioned, I also have my side gig at Rice University. And so I teach uh, um, folks to get ready for the SHRM certification exams. And, and one of the, the biggest things my students that I've found with them over this last year um, has been 
that we just have a we have to have a COVID talk every time before we start class just just to discuss you know what everyone's dealing with and each company seems to be different. It's really interesting to see how you know we got thermometer checks at this one, we don't at other ones. We've got distancing and you know some are working, a lot of them working from home, a lot you know others not, and so just sharing some of those war stories has been just so helpful. And I found that, uh, you know, even just with the SHRM chapters and with, uh, you know, my uh, HR social hour friends, it is just really nice to have people to uh, talk to. And uh, I've joined now an HR Unite group uh, that uh, Tina Marie uh, Wolfield um, put together. And that's really nice to have a, a, a group of folks just to talk about some of the issues we're going through. And I, I really suggest to any HR professional, don't do this alone. You should wow. get some friendships and get talk with people about, you know, how, I mean, because you'll get good ideas. And I mean, we follow each other on Twitter. We do some of these things, but um, it's, it's, it's important that you do reach out, talk to other HR professionals. I mean, like Beth and I have been friends for a very long time. And it's there when friends, you know, you get other friends that are dealing with the same types of things. And I have a lot of friends in manufacturing and it's been helpful to say, Hey, what are you doing? Oh, what am I doing? And in fact, I had one just call me this afternoon asking me what they were and they I've surprisingly they're on the other side of the country and they ended up being in my workers comp captive. And so we uh, now talk to each other all the time. So, you know, if I'm working at home and I fall down the stairs during my work day, is that workers comp? Is it not because, you know, and, and those, those are the things too. And I, I see you guys say, shaking your heads and I agree, but I'm also HR. So I would know those, I might know those things where other people wouldn't. And so how can we help supervisors have that conversation with staff to say, you're working at home, but here, here's where those lines are. Because if, I, if I'm at the office and I fall down the stairs, that's a different conversation than if I'm in my home and fall down the stairs. I want to we, say that um, it's, it's, it, it, it's very important. Um, one, I think it's the first week of March, I had to write a temporary work from home policy. I'm not sure how temporary it is anymore, but it's a temporary work from home policy. And it's because we never had anybody work from home except for a couple of drafting people that we hired kind of to work from home and it was two of them. So, uh, so we had, we ended up, you know, moving about 70% of our office staff out, out to their homes if they wanted to. Um, we had some people who just realized, no, that's, you know, I've got little kids around. Um, I don't have, one didn't have internet, <laughs> various things like that. And so um, this decided they wanted to stay in. So those have kind of been my road warriors that I see every day, but um we have had some come back just because we've been so busy and we've had to work those things out. But very early on, it was probably a month into it, I started getting complaints from managers and I had to go back to them and say, well, what are you doing to make sure your people are calling? Because they said, well, I called my employee and she said she was too busy um, on the treadmill and she would call me back. And I'm like, what? Why did you say that was okay? Tell them, hey, you're supposed to be working eight to five. And so I ended up having to write a special email just to everybody working from home to remind them what the expectations are, that our office hours are eight to five. It, you know, we understand you can go to the restroom, but 
you better answer back within a couple minutes. And so we really had to spell some of that out. And since then, we've had no problems. It just, some people just, I guess, needed a little bit of a kick in the backside to realize, hey, you know, don't take advantage of this situation. It's a privilege. And, and in my email, it did say, you know, we can make a decision to bring you back because we are an essential employers. And if that's what, you, you know, we need to do. So everyone realized it's a privilege to be able to. Sure. Work. That's. And that's along productivity lines. And, and I've, my, my longstanding joke has been, I can waste just as much time in the office as I can. At right. right. I, you know, we can, but I think, you know, what I, since we want to focus on emergency management, yeah. so what are, what are some of those, you know, those OSHA and, you know, workers comp and, you know, if I fall at home, how, how do we have those conversations with staff to make sure that, that they understand here, you know, you said, you know, here's your box that's your workspace. And, you know, once you cross that line, but, you know, when I worked in Richmond, Virginia, um, if I walked from my office to the hospital and I got hit by a car, that wasn't covered by workers comp. Right. So, you know, making sure people understand that because not everyone is, is into it as we are. (laughs) Well, if they go cook their, let's say they burn their hand while cooking their lunch in their house or something, or their house burns down, oh gosh, all these horrible things. But let's say they have their company provided laptop computers, et cetera, and they get an electrical shock from it. Well, that's the company provided. That would probably fall in the workers' comp. So training your managers on that, and that's something we did also uh, up front, just training them to understand the workers' comp implication, and also talking to people who did go on, you know, work from home, making sure they had that understanding. And that was also included in that work from home policy so that they understood that piece. I think that's a key piece. You have to think about that piece. Mm-hmm. So Wendy, that was that's really a, an important point to make. So what we're suggesting is that every person who's working from home, first of all, is signing an agreement for that policy, that yep. they read the policy and they understand it. Not only that, we're expecting them to take a picture of their workspace and provide it to us and understand that there is a delineation of when they're in that space, they're working, they're not taking care of their children. They can take breaks like they normally do, but we're expecting them to be working and available. And this is their workspace. And when they walk out of that, and if they wanted an ergonomic assessment in their new workspace, we provided that. And there's lots of places that are doing that on the internet. So you can do a Zoom ergonomic assessment And then anything outside of that is not considered a workers' comp injury. And if they report something, they would have to take photos of exactly how it occurred. And we're nailing it down at that level. And I think Paul is pretty accurate because as soon as you create the procedure that requires them to and put a line after that, it doesn't matter what it is, they pay more attention. And that's the real key is making the choice to get those performance appraisals done to make sure they know if they're not doing their full job, to have a formal uh, at-home policy or telecommuting policy if you don't already have one because we've been exempt people. Now it's better be formal and let's make sure the managers know what their job is and their job is to supervise even if they're not sitting at the office. That's a key piece because for some reason... Sometimes they feel like, oh, HR needs to be supervising these people for some, and and I've had that said to me. I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> no. this is your still your person. They may be remote, but you need to be be managing them. So making sure that is well understood is really important. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, I think this is a really good transition too. So we've talked about, you know, some of those policies that you need to have in place. So what else, um, how, how else has this adjusted how you plan or advise people to plan for emergencies in the future? I didn't, I, I didn't hear quite the end of that sentence. What was the end of that, that question? Oh, sure. So how, how does this, how does this adjust how you are planning or how you are advising people to plan for emergencies in the future? For, for me, we've already got our plan in place. We've, we're just going to keep executing. I think that's really, it's there. One of the biggest things, though, um, because each situation can be different, is being flexible. I think that's a very important word in 2020, is being flexible, being resilient, learning how to, how to deal with things as they come, because Every day is a new day in 2020, and it seems like it's about 20 years long. So it's uh, th- that's been really important is that flexibility and being caring and being you know compassionate also, but still having a, a, a stiff spine because some people will take advantage if you're if you are do too much. So you have to learn how to balance that. You've got to make sure the business is still going, but also be caring about your employees because we know everyone is having a rough time this year. It is definitely a mental, interesting year. And I would say HR has always had two jobs. One, one job is human, the, the interaction with the employees and making sure they're safe and they feel protected and they feel um, cared for and paid attention to. And we can only do that so far when you are not generating the kind of income you would normally generate. So that's a hard hit. And all we can do is be objective and very deliberate in the choices we're making. So we're not letting supervisors do favorites or give benefits to people who just they like or they're more comfortable with. So that's the one piece that I think on the human side of it, if we are are consistent and and equitable and objective in the way we do this, our our employees know when we can we can only afford what we can afford and we are going to do as much as we can. But then on the other side as Paula said, we are HR. That means our job is to make sure there are clear, specific procedures and policies and our employees follow them. And if we've got people at the office who won't wear their masks, one warning, two warnings, they are out the door till COVID is over. Because if I have to remind them to be safe at work, they're not staying, they're leaving. But we need to make sure they understand that. We can't have anything be a surprise because we have to protect our employees to understand what our expectations are as they change. The one thing I found, and I always have felt about HR in general, I think we're the change agents. We're the thought leaders in a corporation. And I know this is sounds sort of horrible, but what an incredible opportunity to show who we are. And I've got to tell you, I've seen that with the HR people I'm running into. They are working those long hours and they're exempt. They're working 50, 60, 70 hours. They care about their employees. They're putting in that extra time. And I'm hoping that as a result of this, we don't need to have the laws memorized. We're not attorneys. We never have been. We're there to help the employees understand their expectations. And we're here to make sure they follow them for the employer. And let's let's show how what we can do because we belong in that C-suite. We should be making $160,000 a year and we earned it. And I think that everybody is showing how great and versatile HR this year. 
because we're getting it done. Yeah, I think that's the biggest, biggest change or positive change. I know you guys got to ask about that, but the biggest positive change is I think in general, HR has become more respected. Yep. I mean, I, I mean it's not perfect around the, everywhere, but just the fact that the thank yous I get now and the, wow, I understand what all you must be dealing with this year and those types of things that I never had in my career. And this is 30 some odd years, but I just, I feel super appreciated this year that I never felt before, which is, you know, just quite mind breaking. And uh, it just, uh, you know, the fact that, you know, we're have, we've had to deal with things we've never thought we would be dealing with. And yeah, and I was called the mask policewoman this week um, or last week. Um, and so, yeah, it's like, oh, you know, but you know, it, it's, it's just got what you need to do. And we're having to be the role models for so many people. And I think that's an important thing too. And we can do it. We've got yeah. the skills and we can, and we do. While most of us probably have some type of plan in place, if we didn't before now, we're really in trouble. However, there might be some HR pros that are out there that are still working on it or now trying to improve upon it with everything going on. What do you think are the most important things those folks should keep in mind when they are developing those plans? Number one, management buy-in. That's my number one. Number two, create a team. You need a team to do this. And then once you've crafted and put this together and you should not made in a vacuum, should be you know talked about within your, your group, then the most important thing of the final is you need to test your plan. So many companies will put this together, they put it on a shelf and never test it out to see if it works. That tabletop discussion of testing out, I mean, that's why it was easy for us to handle Hurricane Harvey. And that's why you're going into this, you know, dealing with a pandemic, my company was prepared because we had planned for it. We had tested it, we'd practiced for it. And that's really the keys that you need to do with any type of uh, emergency preparedness program. And I absolutely agree with everything she said. I, and I would just add um, the other side of the safety plan is the employee management plan. And I think we saw that more in this pandemic than any other kind of emergency response plan we've typically had because we were just getting them out and getting them back. There wasn't this elongated leave. And as soon as you start adding this elongated leave and employees are impacted by access to health benefits and access to their employment and will they come back and who do we want to protect to make sure they come back, that's planning the infrastructure of your corporate um, employees. And if, if anything else we've learned in this pandemic, that needs to be part of a long-term plan. How will you riff out and I'm calling it a reverse riff, but it really has to be as objective. How are you bringing people back? And what is the objective criteria you're utilizing to make those choices? So we're not inadvertently discriminating against all of the older employees because they make the most or discriminating against all the younger employees because they are the easiest to bring back. We want to make a corporate intention that supports the operations of the organization at both levels, both money-wise and making sure we've got the right people in the spaces when we need them. I also say, you know, for those who haven't had to do furloughs or things like in my end, instead, it's been, how have we hired 50 people over the last eight, nine months? And, you know, figuring out how to do that safely 
has been uh, definitely a challenge and an important piece of, of what we've done too. And you know, we've had some turnover by people feeling that it's cheaper to stay home or safer to stay home. And so when you deal with that, then you're gonna replace them and finding those replacements. And especially I have one uh, facility that's in a rural part of Alabama and there's just not that many people to pick from. So that has uh, created a lot of challenges and I've gotten to know some temp agencies that I didn't know before and figure out some creative ways to fill jobs because even though unemployment might have gone up like here in the Houston area, but in that part of uh, Alabama, it's like 1%. So it's really hard to find uh, employees. So it, it can, it's, a, it's a good challenge to have, but you know, we've been in a growth mode instead. So, so safety, safety, consistency, and equity are yeah. the base of anything we do, no matter what the situation is. I would agree with those three things. I think that's great. Um, what are some specific resources you'd recommend for those tasked with safety and emergency preparedness that haven't really had those duties in the past? The SHRM website's great. And uh, yes. Beth and I helped put together, <laughs> help write a lot of the stuff that's in there. There's a whole group of us from the, that back in our health, safety, and security days that we dealt with pandemics. We, we put all that after 9-11, that whole piece was put together and it's all there and it's been updated. And of course, there's a whole COVID resources section now on the SHRM website. But besides that, of course, the CDC's website is phenomenal. There's, and, it, and I also recognize a lot of stuff from our time working on the pandemic flu. Uh, a lot of the graphics and things are, have remained and they have improved upon them. So that's kind of fun because I still have my um, notes and, and binders from that time. Um, also, also, FEMA is great. There's a lot of stuff for FEMA. There's um, a ton of safety um, organizations. There's a couple of states that are really great. Oregon, um, Oklahoma State University has some great stuff. Um, I can't remember them all. There's, I think I've gotten some things out of Virginia before. So the, in fact, uh, I, I found a lot of, you know, you get to know them, if, especially in the safety world. There's a, a lot of things. And the National Safety Council um, I have a lot of things from there too. So having had my training through them. And I think it's important to remember there's a difference between your OSHA IIPP injury illness and prevention program and your company policies and making sure those are integrated and whether it's safety now that Paula's handling, so she gets to have that scope of control, but most HR people are not going to. And we do not wanna do this in a vacuum the, the um, Department of Labor, I think, has been putting out a, and the CDC have been putting out these questions and answers. They are changing constantly. So keeping a record of all of the directives you get locally, statewide, and nationally that help you make these decisions, they're changing. So in a moment of time, you might have been told one thing today, and three weeks later, you're told something else. So the importance of making sure you've got record keeps records of all of these things that you use to make your decisions on over time may be something very important if you end up in um, litigation or somebody questioning why you made that decision. Because at that moment in time, that may have been the right decision. At this moment in time, three months later, it's a different decision. So these resources are incredible. And SHRM is amazing what they have put together. Seriously, they have put it all together so we can find it all if we need it. 
and then keep records of everything you're using. So if you are questioned later, in that moment in time, that was the key um, gold standard. Three months later, we've got a different one. Let's make sure we've got a document of why we changed that policy. So someone doesn't question our competency. Most local sheriff chapters also have a lot of friendships with uh, law firms. And uh, I've found there are specialty uh, lawyers who work in the safety space. Um, we had Ed Folks, if you remember uh, Beth on ours and ended up, he, he ended up being head of OSHA. So, uh, uh, so there is, you know, when you get, um, those lawyers usually will give you free stuff and I, they usually give it to your SHRM chapter. So I really, that's another reason to be a member of a local chapter uh, if, uh, if they have those uh, good networking to get, get that type of information. And because I, I find I, I get so many emails from all the different law firms that I usually know everything as it happens. And that's really helpful to keep up to date. Well, ladies, we've had some rather serious conversation tonight about very important subjects. And, and how, again, how do we get better at these things? How do we make sure that we're keeping our employees safe, ourselves safe? But it's not HR Social Hour if we don't bring up a little bit of light. So our final question has nothing to do. Well, maybe it does. I don't know. What is one positive that's come out of this year for both of you? It can be work. It could be fun. But with all the challenges, we know there's been some good. What, what, what's something positive for both of you that's come out? For me, I think it's really been H watching HR and all these managers that were always sort of not quite sure the power or the the um, opportunity they had in their organization to make a difference shine and say, oh yeah, I can I can get that done. And then they go get it done. They talk to safety, they talk to the management team, they talk to the department managers, and they get it done. And I think Paula mentioned it earlier. We are, I hope, gaining a sense of recognition that people really understand we're not their administrative assistant. We actually know what we're doing. We can get it done. We are the change agents. We are the thought leaders and we're here to help. So I would say, you know, I, besides my macro level of being super respected, that, that idea of being, you know, that HR is respected. But if I go to a personal level, um, this has really given me a time to, you know, spend, my daughter is also in HR and we've had some really serious conversations and having that you know, special talks, um, I have to write a, I don't have to, I decided to write a weekly employee update. And every week I send it to her and she, she usually calls me and we talk about you know my update that I've sent on Friday afternoon. And it's been really nice to share that with my daughter who's also dealing, she works for um, Wells Fargo in a big bank. so. She's, um, you know, she's from a, she's had to, she's been working from home since February. So she's, it, it's, it's good for her to see what I'm dealing with. And I appreciate what she's dealing with. And we get to share war stories together. So that's been a personal thing. That's been really nice. Plus, I feel like because we are had to go online and, um, you know, work from home or whatever we're all doing, I, I've made even closer friendships with Wendy and Tina Marie and Melanie and and several several others and I'm sorry if I didn't mention your name but the, so but I got my Peacock sisters and then of course my my uh, younger sister Wendy so uh, those friendships 
are going to be for my lifetime. So I really think sometimes that's the maybe sil silver lining in the very dark clouds of 2020 is the friendships that I've built uh, in some cases all over the country and world. And I think that's really important for all of us. You can never have enough friends. Well, ladies, I, I can't thank you enough both for your time. I think this has been a tremendous conversation. I was really excited when Wendy brought it up because I don't think, you know, we talk about all the things we've done this year. I don't think we had thought about emergency parent. We talked about it on the chat, but would we do a show about it a lot? Like one, especially one of these live, live to tape things. I don't think we necessarily planned on that, but really appreciate you sharing your expertise with the audience and with us. Most of our listeners are probably connected, but if they're not, Beth, what's the best way for the listeners to reach you out there? Um, probably look up leavemanagementsolutions.com or hrmconsulting.com, and they can reach me that way. There'll be an email or a phone number that they can get a hold of me. And we do a week, a monthly COVID meeting that's free to everybody. And it's usually the last Thursday or Tuesday of the month. So we are doing it in a couple, in a week and a half or so. And everybody's welcome to join. If they email me, we'll make sure that they get an invitation. And I would love to have you join us, Paula, if you'd come to one of the meetings to talk about what you did, because we just really give an opportunity to everybody kvetch and, and talk about what's going on. And then we come up with solutions. And then Paula, how about you? How do they get in touch with you? Uh, you know, I, I love Twitter with you guys. So at Paula, the number four Harvey, that's a great way to connect with me and connect with the rest of the hashtag HR community or hashtag HR social hour buddies. And so I think bo uh, both of those are a great way. And we have so much fun. We've made such great friendships through that. I also, um, you can find me on LinkedIn. So just look for Paula Harvey. There's a few of us that are Paula Harvey, but I'm, I'm the one with all the letters behind her name. <laughs> <laughs> we, we will have all that in the show notes. And then Wendy, yeah. how about you? What's the best way for listeners to and viewers to find you out there? Uh, best way is on my blog, mydailyjourney.com, daily D as in dog, A-I-L-E-Y. And of course, the second and fourth Sunday of each month, you will find me on Twitter as part of our twice monthly Twitter chat at 7 p.m. Eastern time. How about you, John? JohnThurman.com for all things John Thurman and for the show, hrsocialhourpodcast.podbean.com. If you're watching this on YouTube, make sure you go listen to the show. This will be a mm -hmm. podcast coming out a little bit after the after this video release. But again, anything you can do to help us boost our signal, we appreciate international listeners and viewers. We're coming for you. <laughs> Get in touch. We yeah. we want we want to talk more because we are so incredibly appreciative of those conversations. Just like this conversation tonight, having those with you is great as well. So again, Beth, Paula, thanks for being with us. So for the HR Social Hour Half Hour Podcast Live to Tape, I'm your host, John. And I'm Wendy. And as always, be sure to connect. Give back and network. Network. Take care, everybody. We'll see Paul. you soon.